You guys have a lot of things you've been coveting after, I see. Very interesting. Uh-oh, Orange County disease. She got her mic trout. We know that. Now, we all know that Robin covets anything to do with the angels. She seems to fall into that valley. It makes it easy to get her presents, though. Anytime you want to give her anything, you want to know what to give Robin, something from the angels, anything. You know, you can decide how high you want to go. Her office is a declaration of her commitment to the angelic forces that play at Anaheim. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're, we're almost done uh, with our study on the Ten Commandments. Uh, I call them the words for life. Ten words for life. And the intention of the Ten Commandments were to clarify for us how to declare that God is the center of our life. So that's where it begins with that prime statement that God must be first and foremost. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that once that is present and prevalent in your life, then these other areas will continue to be obvious in your life because you begin to live them out. He only lays out these different directives so that we'll have an understanding of where we might tend to to fall away or to fail in relationship to our relationship uh, with God himself. So he lays out a set of of parameters to test and see if it's really true that God is first, that God is foremost in our life. So if he is, then we'll find ourselves yielding in these variety of areas. Today we're going to look at the eighth commandment, and it deals with the directives of stealing and coveting. Those two are kind of twins, stealing and coveting. Rarely do we steal something that we don't covet. Right? We saw it, we went after it, we found ourselves unable to stop ourselves, and we stole it. I remember many years ago, I was in Salinas uh, serving at a church there, and my worship pastor uh, had came to me, and he had, he had a problem. He was fine unless he had money sitting in front of him, and he had a problem. Uh, he took some money out of the till, and he came in, he was confessing to me, and he said, man, this is what happened. Wonderful, wonderful guy. The last person you think would have this kind of an issue, but he did. He struggled with this issue of stealing. And so we made sure that he was set up from that point on that he, any place that he was working at, he did not have any kind of money available to him to easily misplace, okay? So that's how we set it up, and he did very, very well uh, following that. He found the only time I had had a struggle was when it's looking me in the face, and I'm thinking, you know, I could take this and nobody would know. I could take this and nobody would know. It was a bent that he had that we had to work with. Wonderful, wonderful man of God, but struggled in that particular area. Jesus speaks over and over to this issue of finances and the struggle with stealing and giving, and coveting. All those areas he washes through in relationship to a variety of parables that he throws at us. And over and over again he speaks. Out of 38 parables that Jesus taught us, 16 of them had to do with finances. 38 parables, 16 have to do with possessions or finances. And, and I often found myself saying, why so many? It's because finances seem to affect the health of our hearts. Finances have a miserable ability to infect us with the virus of materialism that causes our hearts to harden 
and we find ourselves unable to respond to God in a variety of other areas. So Jesus speaks over and over and over again to this thing, talking about how greed brings destruction to us in every way you can think of. That we desperately need to learn this simple truth, and that's this. You need to learn how to be content with your content. Say that with me. I want to be content with my content. See, when we are content with our content, with who we are, with what we are, with what we have, then life begins to be enjoyable and meaningful and the adventure that God always intended it to be, as opposed to always caught up with selling and buying, buying and selling. The Orange County virus of materialism that infects all of us to a different degree. And so we have to constantly push against that virus by being involved in acts of generosity, constant acts of generosity to destroy this struggle with greed in relationship to coveting, I want that, and stealing, I'm going to take that. These are the areas that we have to look at powerfully. Now, I want to show you again. The word believe is used in the Bible only 270 times. I found that amazing. Pray 370 times. Love 714 times. Give 2,162 times. Emphasis. Does God want us to believe? Yeah. Does God want us to love? Well, obviously. Does God want us to pray? Duh. Does God want us to give? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Intensely. God is a God who gives over and over and over, and he tries to teach us that same message, the necessity of giving. God wants to teach you how to defeat greed, how to overcome materialism by learning to manage your finances with his help. Solomon saw it this way, the richest man, you know, on the planet at that point in time. And he said this, enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard time strikes, realize both come from God. Both come from God. And that way, you'll realize that nothing is certain in this life, I could add, except for God's leadership. Except for God's leadership. Jesus would say, if you want to have a happy life, then you need to learn to guard your heart, not your finances. You need to learn to guard your heart, not your finances. That's very difficult. We tend to guard our finances. We have safes to put it in. And he says, the issue is not your money. The issue is your heart. The commandment for today is this. It's Exodus 20:15, And it goes like this. You shall not steal. Read it with me. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servants, ox, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I have to admit, I've never coveted my neighbor's ox. Never happened. Outside of that, I'm not saying anything. I plead the fifth. So the word steal is dealing with action. And the word covet deals with motivation. Action and motivation. The word for steal is klepto. We get kleptomaniac from. 
Okay? To carry away by stealth. To take something that other people are unaware you are taking that you do not own. And the directive, don't take from others. And word covet from the Septuagint is actually the word we translate lust. Apathumia. Lust. The desire for things that drives us to destroy others and ourselves. To covet. To lust after something that God doesn't desire for you to have. If he did, you'd have it. God has a purpose. He has a plan for each of us. The scripture says he actually determined that plan and purpose before we were born. That he laid out an intentional direction for each one of us that he wants us to follow. And as we follow that intentional direction, we find within our life a word we call contentment. We begin to recognize that we are doing what God has called us to do, not what other people have called us to do. And we find ourselves moved away from comparison and moving into contentment. I was sitting down with Ken and we had a discussion just this last week and we were talking about this issue and he was talking about his life and he felt that, man, I I just haven't gone up to where I thought I should be. And I said, me too. And he said, this is about me, Lee, not about you. And, (laughs) And he did not. He did not. But what I was sharing was that No matter where you're at or who you are or what you are, there's always something more that you wish you had been because you have a false picture. If God is in charge of my life, then God intends for me to be at the place that I'm at because that's the place I'm supposed to be doing what it is I'm doing because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That is my calling. That is my place. It doesn't have anything to do with size. Someone asked me, Pastor Lee, would you like to have a church of 500? Only because then people would see me as more successful. That's a sad statement, isn't it? I love my church. I love you. I love getting to do what I do. I have a wonderful life. It's incredible. I got a great wife. I've got great kids. Well, pretty good kids. I got. <laughs> I won't go into detail. They're great kids. I, I mean, I, I've been so blessed, and yet I find myself going, you know, Lord, but shouldn't uh, uh, a little bigger, a little more, a little, uh, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And God says, no. I said, you sure that's just not me? Because after all, I am a great speaker, Lord. <laughs> and there should be thousands coming to hear me. And God says, oh, that's a nice thought, Lee. I go, well, they could listen to me over the radio, I guess. You're getting the idea? We need to learn how to be content with our content. And that happens when we recognize we're fulfilling God's purpose and direction for our life, not the direction that everybody else has for you. And then everyone else will tell you how it should be. Everyone has a plan and purpose for your life. You only need to listen to God's. So today when we talk about what is this model for contentment? Well, there's a couple of stories in the Bible I want to talk to. And and the first one um, comes out of Luke 18. So I want you to turn to Luke 18. We're going to get there in just a second here. But we want to talk about the model for contentment. What's the model for contentment? I think there's a model for contentment 
And then there's a motivation for contentment. We want to have contentment in our life so that we are content with our content. Content with our content. Hebrews 13.5 puts it this way. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. Keep yourself from the love of. See, the key to possession is simple. We're to ensure that we are content with our content. That we have a sense of joy and purpose with what we are filled with and where God has placed us at. See, God is a fulfiller of need, not money. And Jesus speaks to two different people in this issue as we walk through a few simple stories. The first story is the one we call the rich young ruler. It's found in Luke 18. And here it begins to tell a story. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all these great things. Because Jesus says, well, first of all, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then you need to follow the commandments of what's laid out there. And he said, I've done all these. I thought, man, this guy's got a fat head. Interesting. Oh, I've done all these. What else do I need to do? And so Jesus turns to him and he says, hmm. Well, let me simplify things for you real easily. You need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler was sad because he had many possessions. Hmm. Do you want to be content with your content or do you want to have a lot of content? They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. You've watched the shows. You've heard the stories over and over and over, and yet you continue to pursue the fantasy. It's a false idea that if you have more, you'll feel better. We sang the song, You Can't Buy Me Love, but we still think you can. Yeah? I told him, buy me a diamond ring. Makes me feel all right. Yeah, that's cool. Buy me one. Oh, I don't he says, whatever you have. And this is sang by a group that had discovered riches, overwhelming riches. And in the midst of that, recognized that they weren't content. Yeah, because the tax man was coming. That was the next song. <laughs> oh, so the rich young ruler says, I want to be content, but I'm unwilling to pay the price for contentment. I recently read about Warren Buffett. They sold lunch with Warren Buffett. You know how much for? Over $2 million. Over $2 million for lunch. Now, the money went to charity. But this person gave over $2 million, over $2,600,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett. You go, really? To have lunch? Well, it was a mixture. One was to have the ego idea that he, they could give the money to charity on that. And the other was to say, Oh, I get to have lunch with Warren Buffett and discuss a variety of ideas. What do you think they discussed at lunch? Any guesses? Money, yeah. How can I get more? I've got more than I can spend. Now can I get more than I can ever want? No. No. Because you'll always want a little bit more. I don't care if it's 100 or if it's 100,000. You'll want a little bit more. How many of you here today thought you would make the amount of money you're making now? See? I, I still remember making a commitment in Bible college, and I said, you know, Lord, if I ever make over $15,000 a year, 
I'll give everything to you. I've reformed. Lord, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about inflation, you know. But I thought that was a huge amount of dollars. Suddenly, you know, we're up here making some pretty good money. And I go, wow, this is cool. Rich young ruler. Content, contentment. Okay? Hard heart, no contentment. Rockefeller put it this way. The poorest person I know is the one who has nothing but money. The rich young ruler walked away sad but kept his possessions. Now, just the next chapter, in chapter 19, suddenly he comes upon an old guy. So this is the rich young ruler. He comes upon the rich old tax man, which we just discussed earlier. You know what the Beatles referred to and sang that next song? Well, the tax man shows up, and his name is Zacchaeus. We all know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Okay? Short guy, climbs up on the tree, looking to see Jesus. Jesus walks under the tree, says, Zacchaeus! Zacchaeus is thinking, are you kidding me? How do you know my name? Come on down out of the tree. I'm going to go to your house today and we're going to have lunch together. And Zacchaeus knows instantly what he's supposed to do. He's the opposite of the rich young ruler who asked for directions. In this case, he knew what he's supposed to do. Let me give you a little insight about the rich young ruler. He knew exactly what he's supposed to do. He was hoping Jesus would tell him something else. Speaks to Zacchaeus, says, come on down, I'm going to give you today. People began to mutter, you're going to have lunch with a sinner? And Zacchaeus says, hold it just a minute. I'm turning my life around. Anybody here, anybody here that I owe anything, I'm going to give you back twice what I owed you. There's people beginning to gather around. (laughs) And he makes this statement about how he's going to give whatever it takes to make sure that he makes full restitution for any wrong that he had done. And Jesus turns and says to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Wow. So he had a chance to have lunch with Jesus. Interesting, huh? And the first guy had lunch, and Jesus told him what to do, and he said, not going to do that, and he was out of there. The second guy goes to have lunch with Jesus and Jesus tells him what to do and he says, I'm on it. In fact, Jesus didn't have to tell him what to do. He knew instantly what to do. I wonder how many of us know instantly what to do and we try to ask God questions. Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do, but can you give me something else? I don't want to do that. That's a hard one. And that's the struggle that comes into play here. The man has a chance to ask God anything. In this case... He knew the answer. He responds to it, and he becomes content with his content. Zacchaeus suddenly becomes this guy that to this day we sing about with all our kids. We sing and we laugh songs of joy about Zacchaeus. 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 And God is trying to tell us that's the model that you need to follow. Neither money or fame will bring you contentment. The only thing that will bring you contentment is if you learn to be content with your what? Content. That's it. 
That's all there is. There is no more. And God is the only one that can bring you that contentment. Interestingly enough, I concluded this a while back, is just as God gives us love and faith and hope, in the same way he gives us contentment, and he determines it on the basis of whether we are willing to be content with what he's provided us with. And when you're willing, then it changes from there. That's why Jesus said, he who is faithful in little will also be faithful in what? In lots, in much. Because faithfulness is not determined by the amount. Faithfulness is determined by the motivation and a recognition of who he's done. We find ourselves responding to him, no longer spending money on what is not bread and our labor on what does not satisfy. Instead, we find ourselves serving not God, oh, not just God, we serve God wholly, and we begin to recognize that our money is to be managed, not to be held on to. We determine the model that he's getting, and we take it from there. Let's have a little bit of fun and watch this little clip here. It's kind of like a commercial. See what we get out of it. It's interesting that when we talk to this issue of, of finance, we have a model, but then we have a motivation. The issue of motivation, Jesus tries to tell us we need to have a motivation that focuses on not what is here and now, but what will be. That when we begin to understand the eternal value of that which we give, then we find ourselves giving appropriately. Luke chapter 16. There's a motivation for contentment. This is a story, a parable, about a manager who had been false in what he had done. He had stolen, literally, from the owner. So the owner turns and he says, Give an account for your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. And then Jesus turns and he tells a story. He says, You need to use your worldly resources to benefit others. Because in the midst of that story that you'd walk through in Luke chapter 16, this is what you'd find. The guy begins to give his managers his owners stuff to these other people that they weren't supposed to have and it sounded to me like he's stealing from his owner to give to people who he doesn't owe so that he could get the money back from them later and jesus commends him and i went what you commend this guy he commends him and he says this is the reason i commend him because he learned to use his resources to build friendships. And that's what he commends him in. He says, in this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven when you use your worldly resources to benefit others. And that's the reason that this guy was willing to give $2,600,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett. It wasn't because of the input that Warren was going to give. It was because he recognized in his life that the only way he was going to gain any real joy was to give away, whenever he had opportunity, whatever he had. And that's the cry of God to us. He says, what can you give away? Your question should be in everything. What can I give away? What can I give to my friends? How can I help my friends? What has God provided me that I could provide to somebody else? You see, how you do with little shows how you'll do with much. And that's why God lays out giving on a percentage basis, not on a dollar basis. So when I made $100 a week, $10 wasn't a big deal. But when I started making $1,000 a week, $100 was a pretty big deal. And on and on and on it goes. But if you're not faithful with the 10, you won't be faithful with the 100 or with the 1,000 or with the 100,000 or with the million. Because our motivation doesn't change. Only the amount changes. Let me give you three simple insights on motivations for giving. What I call 
Again, how to be content with your what? Content, okay? First of all, we are taught by Jesus through the biblical directive that we're to use earthly giving to affirm God's ownership, to affirm God's ownership. So in Matthew six nineteen, he says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Every time we are generous, and you know this to be true, folks, you see this in your own life, we all experience the same thing. Every time you're generous, your heart grows closer to God's. And you find yourself more focused on heaven. Every time you're greedy, you push away from God and you find yourself more focused on earth and the things that are here. Okay? The things of earth don't go strangely dim. They grow strangely big and bright and, whoa, and I need that Ferrari. Really? Interesting. Well, we won't get into that. Okay? Every time you're generous... In some way or manner, God enlarges the arteries of our spiritual heart. And it's that heart which gives us love and joy and peace and faith and hope and kindness. And all these things the Holy Spirit flows through. Whenever you're not, you begin to collapse your arteries down. We're to be a model of generosity to people around us. Your kids need to see you as a generous person. Your friends need to see you as a generous person. He's saying, use your earthly giving to affirm God's ownership. If I believe that everything that I own here and that I don't give away to God now and carried on, if I believe that all those things that I give away, C.S. Lewis used to say, only the books I give away will I be able to read when I get to heaven. Then we give away our whole library. We give away whatever we have because we recognize that that reward will be waiting for us in heaven. In what way or manner, I have no idea. I don't know how it works. I just know Jesus said in relationship to this issue that that's the way it will work. That's the way we will view it when we get to heaven. All those things that we gain will be viewed as a reward waiting for us in heaven. A marvelous IRA that God has provided for us. So we are to model this so that people look at us and begin to say that God owns everything you have, not you. And you determine how you spend what you have and how you give what you had according to God's directive in your life. And when you do that, you will find your focus and your eyes and your heart on God's desires, on God's intentions, and on heaven itself as opposed to this place here. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, You're giving proves the reality of your faith. You guys all know the story of the Good Samaritan? We all know the Good Samaritan story, right? Guy comes along, thieves come along, they take him out, leave him by the side of the road without anything. Religious guy comes along, the pastor looks over to the side and says, man, isn't that a bummer? I'm sure glad that's not happened to me and walks on by. Christian comes along, sees him and says, oh my goodness, this is awful. Gets him out of the side of the road, fixes him up, takes him over to the hospital, pays for his hospital stay, says, if you need anything else, give me a call. Three simple principles. The first one said, what is yours is mine, and if I want it, I will take it. That was the thief. What's yours is mine, and if I want it, I will take it. The second person was a religious person, and they said, what is mine is mine, and you can't have it. That's what they said. What's mine is mine, and you can't have it. And the third person said, what's mine is yours, 
And if you need it, you can use it or you can keep it. Which one are you? Which one are you? Your giving proves the reality of your faith. So we must understand the first motivation of, print, of giving is to declare God's ownership. Second one, earthly giving is to gain God's riches. Earthly giving's purpose is to gain God's riches. So each man, it says, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a hilarious giver. So I tell people, you need to give until you're happy with what you gave. People say, I, I say, oh, I've watched you guys. I've watched you give. Some of you give. Oh. You're not happy with what you're giving. I said, give until you're happy what you gave. How much is that? How would I know? I know what mine is because I know when I'm happy about it. I also know when I'm unhappy about it. I say, you know, Lord, I was going to give that to you, but. And I'm not happy about it. You give till you're happy. There's a new principle for you, all right? Earthly possessions tend to produce heavenly poverty. Earthly possessions tend to produce heavenly poverty. But hilarious giving causes our faith to shine. Okay? Opposite idea, stealing from God will suck the joy right out of you. Okay? If you steal from God, it will suck the joy right out of you. And we, we talk sometimes about what that means, but it, it just, it'll do it. I guarantee it. I see bitter people and I go, man, they haven't learned how to give. That's one good thing I'm obvious about. They are struggling in this area because bitterness has taken over their lives. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. We are to give so that we can gain so that we can give. We're to give so that we can gain so that we can give. And that's the principle at work. If you judge others, others will what? Judge you. If you're critical of others, others will what? If you're gossiping about others, yeah, yeah. That's what's happening to you. They're gossiping about you. If you're gossiping about others, I guarantee you they're talking about you afterwards. Every single time. That's the simple way that life works. If you love others, People will love you back. If you encourage others, so will other people. You will sow what you reap. If you put a kernel of corn in the ground, you'll get back hundreds, thousands of kernels. I had a tomato plant that kept giving me tomatoes for two years. First thing I said, Dave, we got more tomatoes coming out there again. You need to replant it. I said, I know, it just keeps coming. Man, did I get out. That was great. We had great tomatoes. It's gone now, but hey, for two years. One stinking little plant gave me tons of tomatoes. That's the principle that God has set in the universe for all of life. As you sow, as you reap. Okay? Simple, powerful principle. We falsely think if I had more content, I would be more content. No. You must learn that God wants you to be content with your what? Content, okay? We want to be successful. We want to be wealthier. We want to be healthier. And then we suddenly get this aha moment, this epiphany, 
And God begins to clarify to us, hey, I can use you just as you are right now. Because some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I wish I had learned this a long time ago, but now it's too late. It's never, ever too late. Never, ever too late. We're not going to show that clip, though, because we just don't have the time for it today. You need to be content with your content. You need to pick the right model. You need to follow these principles of earthly giving to gain God's riches and to affirm God's ownership. And then the last thing is you need to use earthly giving to build forever relationships. You need to use earthly giving to build forever relationships. You need to use your earthly resources to benefit others. In so doing, you will store rewards in heaven. He says, use your money to help your friends. It's an investment in eternity. Check out where you're investing your money. What are you doing with that which God has provided to you? So Jesus says uh, later on as he directs Paul, Paul talks to Timothy and he says, tell the rich people to do good, to be rich and doing good deeds, to be generous, to be ready to share. And by doing that, they'll be saving a treasure for themselves as a strong foundation for the future. And then they'll be able to have the life that is true life. If you are Rich in finances, you need to choose to be rich in giving. The biggest mistake you can be, make is that as God enlarges your finances, that you decrease your giving. You need to increase it according to how God has prospered you. And as you do that, then God will continue to prosper you more and more and more. And you'll begin to live life, the true life, and that's life with joy. And not get caught up in simply buying and selling. True life is not a busy life. True life is a life we're involved in giving because God has provided for us generously on a regular basis. And so the scripture goes on to say, and then God will provide generously all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. My favorite story of this is one I shared a number, number of years ago. And it's just a fun story because it reminded me so much of God speaking to my heart. I was, I was with my son, John. He was a young guy then. It was a number of years ago. And we went to McDonald's. And, and when we got to McDonald's, we got some stuff. And I got him a super-sized fry. Big old honking fry. He loved fries. And so I set it off to, on the seat. And I'm smelling the fries. And I'm thinking, those fries smell really good. You know that? And I reached in to the basket. And I pulled out a fry. And John says, don't take my fry. I said, what? He said, those are my fries. And I thought to myself, whoa, buddy. Just a honking minute here. Just who do you think you are? And I began to put one in my mouth and I chewed it. And it was good. And I said, that was a good fry. And he said, you're taking my fry. I said, hey. You need to understand something, John. First of all, I am the source of all your fries. Without me, you have no fry. You're just a small fry. And he began to look at me with this look in his eyes that said, I will take you out. And I said, you got to understand this. You don't say, don't take my fries, because your fries are my fries. You get it? And he grabbed it and started eating some fries real quick. <laughs> and he said, but he had forgotten, I can take back the fry. 
Or I could get him a boatload of fries. I could go back. In fact, I did. I had an epiphany. I said, okay, that's it. I stopped the car and I turned around. I went back to McDonald's and I ordered my own supersized fry. And I said, you could have had more too if you were good. Because you need to understand something. I am the Lord of the fries. Isn't that great? I taught him good. I let him know. And God is teaching us the same truth today. He's saying, folks, I got the ability to have all the fries in the world because God looking at us is the same way I look to my son. I'm saying, son, I could buy more fries than you could ever eat. I can't say that now. He's older. But then. (laughs) And God says to us, they're just fries, Lee. It's just fries. It's a little house. It's a car. It's a, they're just fries. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm able to do? Don't you get it? I am God. And I can meet all your needs. And I will meet them if you'll let me. But it's up to you. Will you follow my principles for living generously? Or will you choose to follow the principles of greed. Your choice, your call. Who's your Lord? And I find in my life, and I hope it's the same in yours, I'm saying, Lord, I just want to be content with my content. I just want to be what you made me to be. No more and no less. And whatever that is, I declare you as Lord of my life. You do what only you can do. And that's why Paul turned to the Corinthians after they'd given so much and he gave this wonderful directive. He said this, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Hmm. Let's pray. I'm going to ask uh, Pete to come up with a band while we do that. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God who gives and who shares with us this wonderful principle that it's as we sow generously, we reap generously. Whether that be in laughter and joy, whether that be in encouragement, whether that be in love, whether that be in faith or hope, that it's as we exhibit and share those things that you not only build them up and overflow through our lives with them, but you do the same to others. And today we come to you and we say, Lord, we want to make you Lord of our lives because many of us here have not. We have held back in the finances because we're scared. We're frightened. We're afraid that we're going to be homeless. We're afraid that we won't have enough money to take care of ourselves. And so we've held back. And we're holding on to it so tightly that our hands are hurting. And we're tired of squeezing. And so we come to you today and we say, Lord, Lord, please, take back the finances. I give you my house and my car. I give you my clothes. I give you everything. And I say, Lord, show me how to be content with my content because it's yours. And I'm no longer going to try to hold on to it. Let your will be done in my life this day because you, you're Lord even of the fries. Amen.
I encourage you guys, there's some steps in your outline. You need to look at those. You may need to memorize some verses to help God get you through this. You may need to find somebody to give to. We have somebody here who talks to me all the time. He says he regularly holds $100 in his pocket in case somebody needs $100. So any of you that need $100, raise your hand. He'll see you, and he'll bring it your way. <laughs> he does it regularly because he says, you know, I found when I do that, God not only prospers me, but enlarges my heart. I'm encouraging him. He needs to move to 200 now. Inflation. You're getting the idea? We need to be people who give, who are generous in everything we do, declaring God's ownership. Now, with that thought in mind, we're going to take the offering. <laughs> we actually are. We're going to take that while we sing these last.